Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Doug Wilson. He's the pastor who leads what some call a reformed religious empire in Moscow, Idaho. He's hired a law firm to protect himself and his organization from what he believes is defamation, and we'll have some details. Also, Bishop T.D. Jakes has recently been the subject of scandalous rumors, but that hasn't stopped him from preaching at the annual Maryland Revival Meetings, where he's been a guest speaker for more than 30 years. We'll have a look at that situation as well. And the president of Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, is stepping down just four years after taking over that office. We begin today with news that the faith-based television network, TCT Ministries, is suing four of its board members for abusing their board positions uh, for their own financial benefits. The lawsuit filed on January 11 seeks removal of the board members and recovery of damages. It names Tina Kuntz, the wife of TCT's late founder Garth Kuntz, and two of their children and one grandson as defendants. According to court documents, the board members improperly and over the course of decades personally and excessively benefited themselves at the expense of the corporation and its related entities to the tune of $7 million. TCT was founded by Garth Kuntz in 1977 as a Christian station in Cincinnati, Ohio. It has since grown to a worldwide network of broadcast stations helping to bring the gospel to the world. At least that's what it says it does. Kuntz died in January of 2023. On February 3rd of last year, TCT's management team made the board aware of some potentially illegal and or improper financial transactions, and the board voted unanimously to create an investigating committee and hired outside counsel to look into those transactions. According to the court filings, the committee concluded that the defendants had for 20 years unlawfully used TCT's assets for their private benefit. Uh, Some of those private benefits, including TCT funds to pay for personal assistance for Garth Kuntz and his wife, using the TCT jet to take personal flights, and using TCT funds to pay for residential expenses. They created what they called a corrective action plan that seeks reimbursement of these funds, the removal of Kuntz and Nolan from the board of directors, and the removal of Nolan from her employment with TCT. It also plans to file appropriate disclosures with the Internal Revenue Service. On December 20th of 2023, Assistant Attorney General Matthew Shapiro asked each board member to outline their plans to pay back what is owed. According to the lawsuit, the defendant board members have not cooperated with that corrective plan. Instead, they've attempted to dismantle the investigating committee and installed a new CEO at TCT and new outside counsel who are, in the words of the lawsuit, beholden to the defendants and who will prevent the implementation of the corrective action plan. Well, our next story is about a leader of a reformed religious empire in Moscow, Idaho, known for routinely questioning the faith of other Christian leaders and groups, but who has recently hired a law firm to defend himself from those who criticize him. 
Doug Wilson's empire includes Christ Church, a network of 123 churches, a network of nearly 500 schools, Canon Press, and New St. Andrews College. He's hired the law firm Claire Locke, which is a firm that specializes in defamation cases, to protect him from what he calls a steady stream of defamatory accusation and slander that are now being circulated by professional media entities. Wilson's letter pointed to articles and a book by journalist Sarah Stancorb, who has covered Wilson's work for both Slate and Vice. He said the accusations have grown in vehemence and have increased in stickiness because we are more news newsworthy now. Criticism of Wilson's work has also appeared on various websites, blogs, and Facebook pages, including Kevin DeYoung's Clearly Reformed website. Kevin's DeYoung article is called On Culture War, Doug Wilson and the Moscow Mood, and it was published on November 27th. DeYoung marveled at Wilson's extraordinary literary, digital, and institutional output, and he said that Wilson deserves credit for being unafraid to take on unpopular positions. But he also said that something isn't quite right about Wilson's approach, which depends on a fundamentally oppositional framework. Kevin DeYoung continued, the mood that attracts people to Moscow is too often incompatible with Christian virtue, inconsiderate of other Christians, and ultimately inconsistent with the stated aims of Wilson's Christendom project. Our next story also touches on the defamation theme. Former pastor Mikan Carter is suing his former assistant, Mary Jones, for accusing him of rape back in 2021. Carter and his wife, April, led Yakima-based Together Church for 13 years. In July of 2019, he resigned suddenly from that church. He told those in the congregation that he was stepping down because of an inappropriate incident and that he had recently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He checked himself into a treatment center. Following his resignation, he and his family moved to Birmingham, Alabama to join the staff at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, which is part of the Association of Related Churches. According to court documents, Carter joined the church under a ministerial restoration program where he was not allowed to be part of public ministry for a year. He began preaching again in 2020. Church of the Highlands is one of the largest churches in America, with up to 40,000 attendees on Sundays across multiple campuses. They're known for working with pastors facing moral failings, having just built a $4.5 million lodge to help restore pastors. In 2021, Jones sent a letter to Church of the Highlands senior pastor, Chris Hodges. She told the megachurch pastor that Carter had raped her when he was serving as lead pastor at Together Church. She also posted a blog about the incident. In the blog, she says that the lead pastor began making inappropriate comments and touching her, all leading up to the moment that he raped her during a church event. Carter and his family resigned from Church of the Highlands shortly after the letter was sent, and Highlands released a statement about the resignation, stating that they could no lo- would no longer be a part of Carter's restoration process. Did Carter deny the allegations? 
Well, Carter stated in the court documents that he and Jones did have consensual sex, and in October of 2022, he filed the defamation lawsuit against her in the state of Alabama. That case was thrown out since the alleged rape occurred in Washington. Nine months later, in July of 2023, Carter filed another defamation lawsuit with the Yakima County Superior Court, where it is now awaiting a ruling. Jones's attorney said that Carter has failed to demonstrate that he and the former church employee had consensual sex. Warren, let's take a short break. When we return, rumors have been circulating about Reverend T.D. Jakes. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey, everybody. Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast uh, with a couple of quick updates regarding Ministry Watch. First of all, we met our year-end goal. If you gave during November and December of 2023, uh, just can't tell you how grateful I am. And also <laughs> wanted to let you know that our needs go on. So if you did not give, uh, we would love to hear from you in January or February uh, with uh, a gift. If you've got any left over after all those Christmas expenditures, uh, we would... Um, be grateful. Just go to uh, ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Also wanted to let you know that we're going to have uh, some, I would call them relatively minor changes, but I think significant changes to the way we do things here at Ministry Watch over the next month or two. Number one, we're making some tweaks to our website that we think will make it a little more user-friendly and uh, readable uh, that uh, I hope you will enjoy. And we're also going to be making some changes to our database as well so that uh, you can get to that database a little more easily and find things that you are looking for uh, more quickly. So stay tuned during the month of January and February for some uh, minor but important improvements to the way we do things here uh, at Ministry Watch. Again, thank you so much for your support. God bless, and let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next is a story we promised before the break. It's a story of rumors and responses concerning T.D. Jakes. The prosperity gospel preacher, entertainment executive, and ministry entrepreneur has seen his organization grow exponentially since his early days as a storefront pastor in West Virginia. Jakes moved to the Dallas area in 1996 and founded the Potter's House, now a non-denominational megachurch with multiple locations and more than 30,000 members. Yeah, in fact, in 2001, Time magazine featured the traveling evangelist on its cover asking, is this man the next Billy Graham? He now sits at the helm of numerous ministries and businesses and keeps the company of high-powered executives and A-list celebrities. But lately, he's been facing some criticism. He has unverified allegations of sexual misconduct at parties hosted by hip-hop mogul Sean Diddy Combs have put T.D. Jakes in the headlines lately. In December, a TikTok and YouTube video alleged that Jakes engaged in gay sex at Combs parties, and separately, a talk show host accused Jakes of improper behavior with a young male. So why report on unverified allegations? 
Well, it's a good question, and I want to be clear that normally we would not be reporting on rumor and innuendo. In fact, we have uh, refrained from reporting on this story in particular for several weeks uh, after it first started coming out, but we decided that we would now report on it because Jakes himself and some of his surrogates have been commenting publicly, uh, either refuting the allegations directly or speaking in favor of T.D. Jakes' character. His ministry, for example, made a statement saying that recent claims circulating on pockets of social media about Bishop T.D. Jakes are unequivocally false and baseless. And Derek Williams, who's the executive vice president for T.D. Jakes Entertainment, added that though Jakes and Williams did attend that birthday party briefly, they left quickly due to other scheduled meetings. Williams went on to say that any accusation to the contrary is wholly unsubstantiated, unverified, and false. And a number of Jakes' collaborators uh, were quick to express their support of him. Pastor John Jenkins Sr. of First Baptist Glen Arden said that Bishop Jakes is too smart to do something that these people are accusing him of. And Values Partnership CEO Joshua Dubois, who most recently worked with Jakes on mental health issues for black men, Hispanic men, and faith leaders, described Jakes as a leader focused on eternal truths, not sort of short-term cultural conversations and innuendo. Jakes recently spoke at the annual Maryland Revival, where he has been a guest speaker for more than 30 years. Though he didn't address the rumors by name at that event, he did urge the audience to reject naysayers and focus on what they believe God has envisioned for them. Up next, the latest in our ongoing look at international missions. Aaron Bard is the chief of staff and dean of chapel at Dort University in Iowa, and he's helping college students there rethink what it means to support missions or even to become a missionary. The model that Bart believes is most effective and efficient is for Western Christians to support and assist the work of indigenous missionaries in reaching their own people with the gospel. Dort no longer takes short-term missions trips with service projects like painting a school or putting on a roof, things that the locals can do for themselves. Instead, they do take students abroad, but on what they call vision trips that he hopes will have a more significant and lifelong impact. How is a vision trip different from a short-term mission trip? Well, it's a good a good question. Uh, number one, they're centered on the student's field of study. So, for example, students might consider ways that they can use what they're studying in the classroom, what they're preparing for as a vocation, to bless and encourage indigenous missionaries and connect with the global Christian community and continue to serve once they get back home. Students uh, ask what the indigenous missionaries need and how their skills and expertise can help meet those needs. Do you have an example of what that can look like? I do. Austin Lindemulder is a good example. He was an engineering major and never intended to spend his life in missions. But in his senior year, Linda Mulder was involved in an effort to at Dort to help Liberian Christians reach rich agricultural soil that was available but unused. So along with other engineering students, Linda Mulder engineered a bridge as a solution to the access issue. Seeing the value that engineering skills had on the mission field, changed his view about how he could serve Christians around the world. 
And this whole project came out of Bart's personal story. It did. Bart himself said that he always assumed that he would be a missionary. He made friends with a Liberian pastor and wanted to join forces, but when he realized the cost associated with taking his family to one of the poorest countries in the world and serving there would be more than $100,000 a year, Bart said he was convinced that maybe this wasn't the best way. Maybe he could figure out how to do missions without actually going. Instead, he committed to the Lord that he would support local Liberian missionaries until 100 churches were were planted among unreached peoples. One Body, One Hope is a nonprofit organization that finds ways to encourage, support, and sustain the work of sharing the good news to every corner of Liberia and beyond. Up next, Open Doors International has released its annual watch list highlighting the world's most dangerous countries for Christians. The report, which is published at the beginning of every year, we usually report on it every January here at Ministry Watch, tracks discrimination and violence against Christians and ranks countries based on the severity of the threats faced by the Christian communities there. The 2024 list looks at attacks against Christians from October of 2022 to September of 2023 and is based on data collected by field workers, experts, and persecution analysts. So who's at the top of the list? Well, North Korea is at the top of the list, as it has been most years since we've been following this list. Others on the list include mostly Middle East and North Africa countries. A quick rundown of the list, Natasha, would include Somalia, Libya, Eritrea, Yemen, Nigeria, Pakistan, Sudan, Iran, and Afghanistan. In other words, if uh, that if you were listening to that list closely, you would say these are the usual suspects. These are countries that end up on this list every year. And in the case of, for example, Yemen and Eritrea, uh, there are also countries that have been in the news in the last few weeks as well. Now, by the way, we have a lot more on this topic. You can find the story uh, about the watch list on the front page of our website. Just go to ministrywatch.com. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. It's an interesting story about an opioid treatment in your home state of North Carolina. It is. The founder of a drug treatment clinic here in North Carolina affiliated with a church has been sued by a former employee who is also serving as a whistleblower. And the clinic's medical director is under a federal indictment for distribution of controlled substances. Uh, Bupe.me is a telehealth business started by Douglas Randall Smith as a nonprofit entity associated with Church Ecclesia Sozo, according to reporting done by the Charleston Post and Courier. Its purpose is to treat patients with opioid addictions with a drug called buprenorphine through telemedicine. Church Ecclesia Sozo Incorporated was founded in 2017 in Charlotte as a nonprofit corporation, although a search of its employer identification number on the IRS website produces no results. 
Yeah, exactly right. In fact, I live here in Charlotte. I've never heard of the church, uh, even though I'm pretty well familiar with the church community here. According to the founding documents, Church Ecclesia Sozo exists to teach and preach the gospel to all people, conduct evangelistic activities, license and ordain ministers of the gospel, and provide religious, charitable, and humanitarian services, and also to provide programs and assistance in fighting opioid addictions. Smith told the Post and Courier that he formed the business as a church in order to take advantage of exemptions and grow the business more easily across state lines. And it did grow. Oh, it did. The growth of telemedicine during and after the pandemic, the patient load of the church and its clinic, uh, Bupe.me caused it to grow as well. Uh, According to internal company documents obtained by the Post and Courier, the telemedicine company grew to more than 4,000 patients in 25 states in 2022 and had $5.5 million in revenue last year. But the South Carolina Department of Labor Licensing and Regulation began investigating Bupe.me's patients' practices for possible fraud. And uh, a former employee, uh, Edmund Brown, said that he didn't think Smith was honest in his responses to those investigators. Smith gave them incorrect and conflicting information, according to Brown, as expressed in the court documents. So he sued Smith. Church Ecclesia Sozo and Bupe.me for back pay, claiming that Smith withheld compensation in retaliation for his whistleblowing and for his cooperation with investigators. Once again, there's a whole lot more to this story, Natasha. You can find the complete story at ministrywatch.com. Well, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast uh, with a couple of quick updates regarding Ministry Watch. First of all, we met our year-end goal. If you gave during November and December of 2023, uh, just can't tell you how grateful I am. And also (laughs) wanted to let you know that our needs go on. So if you did not give, uh, we would love to hear from you in January or February uh, with uh, a gift. If you've got any left over after all those Christmas expenditures, uh, we would... uh, be grateful. Just go to uh, ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Also wanted to let you know that we're going to have uh, some, I would call them relatively minor changes, but I think significant changes to the way we do things here at Ministry Watch over the next month or two. Number one, we're making some tweaks to our website that we think will make it a little more user-friendly and uh, readable uh, that uh, I hope you will enjoy. And we're also going to be making some changes to our database as well so that uh, you can get to that database a little more easily and find things that you are looking for uh, more quickly. So stay tuned during the month of January and February for some uh, minor but important improvements to the way we do things here uh, at Ministry Watch. Again, thank you so much for your support. God bless, and let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? 
Well, Crew, the $811 million international ministry formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ International, announced on Monday that President Steve Sellers would step down from that post in July. Sellers explained the move in a video posted Monday night saying that God had led him to his post and is now leading him to leave it. Some people may wonder, what's the real story, he said in the video made with his wife, Christy. Is there another issue, another agenda? But Sellers said it was just time to move on. Yeah, he said, I can tell you simply that the only issue is that prayer of surrender, that we want to do whatever God is calling us to do. There's no sickness. There's nothing that's going on. There's no challenge we're facing, no other issues out there causing us to make this decision. We understand that this can feel sudden and unsettling, Seller said, uh, who had been with crew since 1976 but in a press release he said that when he assumed the role he sensed from the lord that it would only be for a brief season he will remain with crew after he steps down steve sellers is crew's third and shortest tenured president bill bright founded the ministry in 1951 at the university of california los angeles and led it for half a century steve douglas led the ministry for nearly 20 years from 2001 to 2020 when sellers was named the new president sellers had previously served as the executive vice president and what's our next story 31 black churches have received a total of $4 million to help preserve their buildings and the black history they represent. The National Trust for Historic Preservation announced the second round of preserving black churches grants from its African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund on Monday, which was, of course, January 15th, the national holiday honoring the Reverend Martin Luther King. Along with the funds provided last year, the Action Fund has now supported more than 70 historic churches with about $8.7 million in grants. This year's grants will range from a low of about $50,000 to a high of $200,000 and will allow congregations to address issues such as mold contamination, demolition, water filtration, and other deferred maintenance issues. And there's a complete list of recipients on the Ministry Watch website. And moving on, Warren, who did Christina Darnell highlight in this week's Ministries Making a Difference? Seek and Save is who she highlighted. These are events, an initiative of the Assemblies of God churches. They've grown from just two events in 2022 to nine events in 2023. In the initiative's first two years, nearly 500 churches recorded 5,000 engagements through the evangelistic community block parties. They report 2,500 salvations and about 150 people being baptized with the help of about 3,600 volunteers. They also distributed more than 50 55,000 bags of Convoy of Hope groceries. The Assemblies of God is planning 10 Seek and Save events throughout the United States in the coming year. Members of Hillcrest Church of the Nazarene in Vancouver, Washington, have partnered with the local Chipotle this cold season to deliver about 1,700 pounds of hot meals to the city's homeless population during training weeks leading up to the restaurant's opening, as well as to the staff of two local elementary schools. And finally, Youth for Christ, in its 2023 ministry report recently released, says that 7,800 youth made decisions for Christ in the last fiscal year as a result of the ministry. That was up, by the way, from about 7,300 the year before. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? 
Well, yeah, I just wanted to give you a final accounting of our year-end fundraising. We had uh, a year-end goal of $117,000. That's for the months of November and December combined. And I'm pleased to report that the final tallies in and we exceeded that goal. We came in at about $149,000. To those of you who gave to Ministry Watch, let me just say thank you very much. I'm grateful to God and grateful to you, those who read, listen to, and financially support our work. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Brittany Smith, Adele M. Banks, Fiona Andre, Rod Pitzer, and Christina Darnell. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.